We're going to look at these two verses under the heading, From Slaves to Saints. From Slaves to Saints. Let's pause again and just ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, it has been a blessing to be able to be here already. We've been encouraged as we've been able to gather in our Bible study classes, smaller groups to study the Word together. As we've gathered here as as one family, one body of believers, at this hour for the purpose, the intent that we might worship you. And you tell us, Father, you, you give us instructions in your word. We, we read through the New Testament and we can see what believers do when they come together for that purpose of worship. We sing. We sing because you've given us a song. We pray because you have been so good and we are in need each and every day of your grace and mercy. We give because you have so abundantly given to each and every one of us. Not only materially, Father, but even more importantly, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And then we hear from you, Father. We, we open the word. We trust that you've called and equipped someone to help us understand it and apply it. And we just ask, God, that as we come and gather around your word and submit our hearts and our lives to it, that your Holy Spirit is at work, your word is at work. And that in this worship setting where we are here to bless and honor and glorify you, that you would do a great work, that you would build your church, that you would add to your church those who are being saved, and you would add to our faith those who are growing in the Lord. And you would demonstrate, Father, by what occurs here today, that your word is alive, it is active, and it is at work. And we're going to praise you, Father. You are great. Your word is sufficient. The spirit is alive. What more could we ask than what we get to enjoy right here, right now? To you be the glory for it all in Christ's name. Amen. From slaves to saints. So we're jumping into the book of Philippians. Uh, Several weeks back, we kind of overviewed the book together. And uh, let's talk about, as we look at these first two verses, let's first talk about the the context as uh, introducing the sermon today, the context of the letter. Paul and this body of believers, the church here at Philippi, they they are by no means strangers. They, They are very well acquainted. In fact, they 
have a very closely knit bond. It was during Paul's second missionary journey that the church in Philippi was born. And you can read about that account, how God brought those events around in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is one of those very eventful chapters where God is just doing some incredible things as the, those first formative missionary church planting years unfold. When you look at Acts 16, Timothy joins up with Paul and Silas. They're hitting the, the mission field. They're on the mission road. And Paul has this vision that's given to him to bring the gospel to Macedonia. Now, Philippi was a key city of Macedonia. So in Acts 16, one one day Paul is, is sharing the gospel. It says at the riverside, there's a group of women who have gathered there. And so the missionaries are just kind of walking through Philippi. They see a group of people gathered and Paul says... Hey, they're already there. Let me preach. So he goes up. They begin to talk to these women. Paul begins to share the gospel with this group of women that's gathered. One of them happens to be a fairly wealthy lady known as Lydia. And the Bible says God opened her heart to receive what Paul was saying. God opened her heart to the gospel. And as a result, she opened her home to the believers to the church, to the missionaries. The Bible says that she and her whole whole household came to faith and were all baptized. And so right there was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Other remarkable things begin to happen in Acts 16 as well. One of the remarkable things is that uh, Paul cast out out a demon of a young lady who was possessed by a demon. He cast the demon out and she was made whole. The only problem with that is there was a group of guys that were using her to make money. She was their sideshow. And when they lost their ability to to use her as their sideshow, they were, of course, upset with Paul and Silas doing away with their income. And they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown in jail. So Paul and Silas get thrown in jail because they have delivered a young girl from demon possession. But then they do something extremely unusual to be, when, if you're punished, if you're put in jail by doing something very good, they do something very unusual and unexpected at midnight. The Bible says these Two men who were in shackles began to sing praises to God, began to give thanks for being in jail, for doing the work of the gospel. And God heard those praises, and he sent an earthquake that rattled the jail, shook off the shackles, And when the prison guard came to his senses after everything quietened down, the dust began to settle, he realized that all the shackles had been removed. The doors of the jail were wide open. He comes to himself and assumes all of the prisoners are gone. So he says to himself, it's better to end my life now than to have to pay 
for allowing all the prisoners to escape. So he begins to commit suicide. Paul and Silas are still in jail. Paul says, whoa, we're still here. And they begin to share with the prison guard. And he wants to know, of course, why are you still here? And he also wants to know something else. How can I be saved? And Paul shares the gospel with him. And the Bible says he and his whole household come to faith and were baptized. And that little church in Philippi is growing. You see, these Philippian believers love Paul. They love him because he brought the gospel to them. And so when he's writing them from another imprisonment in Rome, and he's writing this letter to them, there are people like Lydia sitting in that congregation receiving this letter. People like Lydia who understood, I've been so blessed by the Lord and the Lord has blessed me with this large home, so how about the church meet here? People like that jailer that thought life was over and then found life, true life in Christ. That's who Paul is writing to. So when they get word that Paul is back in prison in Rome, they send him a monetary gift. They want to encourage him. They want to ease his burden. And Philippians is his thank you letter to the church that expresses its love for him, and it's his expression of love to them. So this letter, just like the letters of Timothy and just like the letter of Philemon are very personal. They're very personal in tone and they're, they're dripping with grace. And you can get a glimpse of Paul the person in these letters. The man. And you get to know Paul. In this letter, he's not making so much corrections as he's just talking and you get to know him and you get to know his love for the Lord and his absolute abandon to the gospel and his deep abiding affection for believers and for specific gatherings of believers specific local bodies of brothers and sisters in Christ and when you understand who Paul loves, you can't help but begin to love this great church-planting, suffering missionary to the Gentiles. And so even in these opening couple of verses, even Paul's greeting has a lot to teach us. So we're going to walk through it together. I want to notice three things here of Paul's greeting in these two verses. First of all, notice a humble self-description of the senders. A humble self-description. Notice what Paul includes there in his letter. He, or who he includes, rather. He includes Timothy. Paul and Timothy. 
Timothy was there visiting Paul in prison and and was acting much like a, a secretary for Paul. Paul would say, now, this is what I want to say to the church in Philippi, and he would begin speaking, and and Timothy was something like his secretary. He would write down Paul's words. Remember, Timothy was with Paul, Acts 16. Timothy was with Paul when they were in Philippi. So he, too, had a personal spirit special connection with this particular congregation. And now he's sitting with Paul. He's still being discipled by the apostle. He, he's still wanting to hear what he has to say. He's, he's there to encourage him and to be encouraged and continue to be discipled and equipped because Timothy himself is to pastor the church at Ephesus. It's also interesting to note not only who Paul includes, Paul and Timothy, but it's also interesting to note what Paul leaves out of this greeting. It's his title. Most of Paul's letters are sent, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to... Because he reminds, he he needs to remind most of the congregations that he's writing to, especially like churches like the church in Corinth, who, who was a very troubled church. Paul needed to remind them of his apostolic authority, who he was. And so that when they read the letter, they would understand this is coming from the Lord and this is something that we need to adhere to. But he didn't feel that compulsion when he wrote to the church at Philippi. He didn't feel that that need to remind them of spiritual authorities because they had so much respect for him. He says in chapter 4, verse 1 of this church, You are my joy and crown. So they know him enough to know He doesn't have to remind them he's an apostle. They know him enough to know if Paul says something, he's a man who walks with God. He's the father here of the the church, and when he writes something to us, the Lord is speaking through him to us. But the main point of this description of the senders is that that Paul describes he and Timothy note here as servants of Christ Jesus. Now there's something interesting about that because the the word that's translated as servant, the, the Greek word behind that word servant is actually the word slave. It's the Greek word doulos. Now, if you look later in that, in that very same verse, Paul actually uses the Greek word for servant when he says deacons. And that word is diakonos. Now, I'm not trying to impress you with pronouncing Greek words, okay? My Greek professor would tell all the class in seminary, Will speaks southern Greek. And they would laugh. So I don't even know if I pronounce those right. I just want you to understand those are two different words that are literally translated in our English Bibles the same way, servants and servants. 
And we say in English, deacons. Look at that word deacons, by the way. In your Bibles, look at that word deacons. And hear the Greek word behind it. Just look at the letters. Diakonos. See that, deacons? That's how, we, that's how we came up with the word deacon. It's the Greek word diakonos. Here's the point. Deacons are the servants of the church, but Paul says that he and Timothy are slaves of Christ. Now, the reason why, we all know the reason why our English translations use the word servant rather than slave. We've got too much historical baggage with the word slave. So in our Western context, we translate the word doulos that's used quite often in the New Testament as servant rather than slave. But in doing so, we miss the impulse and the impact of what's being communicated. When we read slave in our dark history... We think of forced, involuntary, tragic, harsh enslavement. But that's not what Paul has in mind. He doesn't have our history in mind when he's writing this New Testament letter. You see, Paul's is not a harsh enslavement. It's a happy enslavement. Christ has bought him from slavery to sin and brought him into the household of faith. No longer is sin the master over Paul, but now Christ is his master and Lord. This is not harsh and involuntary. This is true freedom. The world defines freedom as having no tethers, no restrictions, no boundaries, absolute autonomy. But true happy freedom is never the absence of tethers. True happy freedom is being released from the world and bound to Christ. That's why these Roman chains, by the way, as we looked at last time, Philippians is the book of joy, right? That's why these Roman chains were unable to evaporate Paul's joy. Because he has a deeper bond than where he's bound. He's chained to another before he was chained in Rome. Before he was chained in Philippi. And those chains are not around the wrist and ankles. Those chains are around the heart and soul. This is a willing, happy servitude to be bound to Christ who is life and resurrection and joy and peace and abundance. But make no mistake about it. It is a life of service. And it will cost But there can be no greater life and there can be no better service. A humble self-description of the senders. Paul and Timothy, slaves 
of Christ Jesus. And then the second thing we see is an uplifting depiction of the recipients. A humble self-description, slaves of Christ. An uplifting depiction of the recipients, Paul says, to all the saints. He calls them saints. These are the ones, remember, that Paul, most of them, Paul led to the Lord. The word saints there literally means holy ones. It means being set apart from the world by the Lord to serve the Lord in the world. Saints. You see, what makes one a saint is union with Christ. Being set apart by the world by being set apart to Christ. That's what makes us holy ones before God, that we are in Christ. We are in union with him. We are in him and he is in us. Being a humanitarian or a philanthropist, you can do good things, but it doesn't make you a saint. Having an official title bestowed on you by the organized church doesn't make one a saint. What makes one a saint is when you embrace Christ. And his sins has been, your sins have been placed upon him and have been removed by his death. And his righteousness has been credited to your account. And you stand before the Lord under the righteousness of Christ. That's what makes us saints, Christ. So we who are in Christ, are saints, each and every one of us. If you are in Christ, you are a saint, a holy one. In the world, but not of the world. In the righteousness of Christ, justified before the almighty God of heaven and earth. Paul says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Every true believer is a saint. Some of you maybe needed to hear that because you felt worthless, you felt defeated. You felt like you're a nobody, you're a nothing. You felt discouraged, depressed, Sometimes we just need to be reminded who we are in the Lord. And that's what Paul is doing to all the saints, to all the true believers in Christ who are at Philippi. He says, with the overseers and deacons, he's making kind of a, a hint there at their unity, the unity of the church, the members and the leaders. Let's talk about those two words for just a minute, overseers and deacons. The words, the New Testament words, overseer, bishop, elder, shepherd, they all refer to the same office that we call pastor. We get that from that word for shepherd, pastor. Pastor. 
they're, they're all different words referring to the same office. It, the different words are signifying the different functions of the pastor. So deacons is referring to a separate group. Notice they're both plural. Overseers and deacons to the church at Philippi. Pastors are to be the spiritual leaders. They are to be spiritually taking care of the church, leading the church spiritually, guiding the church spiritually, teaching the church spiritually, counseling the church spiritually, moving the church forward spiritually, growing the church spiritually. The pastors are these, is his term, overseers the deacons are to be taking care of the material and physical needs of the congregation of the church body they are the servants of the church so this one church had a a group of men leading them spiritually and a group of men caring for them physically and materially and that's god's design for the New Testament church so that each local congregation is cared for spiritually and that needs are being met and not people are not being neglected that's the role of the pastor that's the role of the deacon according to the New Testament God's design for the church Notice he says these, these saints, these believers, are with the overseers and deacons. Now, the word there is literally together with. And I, I believe Paul is saying more than just, I want you all to be in the same place when you read this letter. Of course, that's what they would do. But he's also hinting at unity. They, you are together with your overseers and your deacons, your leaders. Because in chapter 4, the reason why I say that and the reason why he could have used another word for with but used this word because in chapter 4, Paul's going to bring up an issue that's going to require a lot of unity. A lot of unity. So he reminds them in the very opening, in the very greeting of the harmony and the unity and the purpose that they have in the Lord. And to not let this issue disrupt unity. You see, you have to be together with, you have to be together to resolve it. You have to be unified. So you see, in, this, in the very opening words, when Paul's just talking about the senders and the recipients, you see how grace, although he's not mentioned it yet, grace has already entered Paul's message. He's very gracious in his self-description. He's very gracious in his depiction of the recipients. And later, later, He's going to call them to be so very gracious to one another. And that takes us to this third and final observation from this greeting statement. 
a grace-filled blessing for the readers. Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, pastors and servants, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's greeting ends with, this is one of his common opening blessings, but there's really nothing common about it. For Paul, this is not just a trite, repetitive opening, just a nice-sounding spiritual slogan, something, you know, the, a feel-good message to put at the top of your letter. When he writes grace to you and peace, he's genuinely praying for grace and peace for this body of believers. We know it's not the grace and peace of salvation, the grace of coming to know the Lord, the the peace of being uh, reconciled with our Creator. It's not that grace and peace because he's writing to a group of believers. They're already saved. No, this is a prayer for sustaining grace, sanctifying grace, to live out the Christian life, to be able to display faith in this Christian life, in this journey with many trials and obstacles. To, it, it's the peace. He, he's praying for the peace of being able for your soul to be at rest, even if in, you're in the middle of life's upsetting and tumultuous situations like being in prison. Grace to you and peace. Look with me quickly over at chapter 4. And in verse 2, we'll just make a note of where he's going with this already. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There is a division. There is a disruption of unity. There are two that do not get along. They are on opposite sides of whatever issue. The issue is not as important as the unity. Who's right and who's wrong is not as important as the unity. Who gets their way and who doesn't get their way is not as important as the unity. And Paul understands because when these things happen, they run deep, don't they? And they get very difficult, don't they? How many people do you know personally who have had a major disagreement, even people that were in the same church, and they still don't talk to each other, or things still ain't what they used to be between them. 
I guarantee you, you know more people like that, and I know more people like that, than we know people who had major disagreements, and now things are just like they used to be because they're fully reconciled. How many of those do you know? You see what Paul's saying? Y'all gonna need a lot of grace. Y'all gonna need a lot of peace. But you know what? That's not an isolated case to the church at Philippi, is it? We're all human, we're all sinners. And it's not just personal disagreements that get in. It's all kinds of things that get in and cause disruption and cause disunity. The fact of the matter is we all need a lot of grace and a lot of peace. In order to be gracious to one another. And finally, Paul draws our attention to the source. Where are we to draw this daily grace and this peace that we're sometimes so very much in need of? Grace to you and peace from, here's the source, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the wells where we drop our empty buckets every day. We need to be refilled with grace every day. We need to find that peace and rest of soul every day. And when we drop our empty buckets into God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they never return empty. Those wells are not dry, but overflowing with grace and peace. A lot to learn from just a greeting from slaves to saints. Let me give us five, quickly, let me give us five takeaways, five points of application. So what are we to do with all this, Pastor? Well, here's five points of application for us to take with us throughout the week. Number one, Paul's letters are means of communication. That's why you write, to communicate to one another, right? He's writing to believers about the things of God, and so let's learn from Paul. He, he made use of his time in prison, right? And he sent letters to the churches and he's writing to the church at Philippi. We need to communicate with one another in person and by every other means that we've been given, especially in our day. We have hundreds of means of communication. And we need to share with one another. When we communicate, we need to share with one another the things of God, Talk about the faith. Talk about the Savior. Talk about grace. There are other things that are okay to talk about. There are some things that are not okay to talk about. Let's talk about the things of God with one another. Let's, let's lift each other up, remind each other, bless and encourage one another with our words, with our communication. Be intentional. 
Make it a point. Make, we, we should all make it a point. Make, make it a goal that each and every day, at least each and every week, that we are, we are inviting someone to church. We are encouraging some, some believer in, in the Lord. We, we are sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony with someone. Communicate the faith, number one. Number two, Paul's greeting here contains a blessing. He's, he's blessing them. Grace to you, peace to you. He's praying God's goodness to them, God's riches to them, grace and and peace. We need to bless each other. We need to encourage one another, uh, overload each other with with good words and blessings and honor and and goodness to one another. Reject talking about one another and talk to one another about the blessings of God for each other. Do away with all the negative. Do, if it's negative in any sort, any fashion, do, do away with the negative and replace it with the positive. Grace to you. Notice Paul didn't say, you guys lack grace big time. <laughs> he said, grace to you and peace. Bless each other. Communicate the things of God to one another. Bless each other. Number three, remember We are slaves of Christ. We have a new master. We have a new life. And it happens to be the greatest life. He happens to be the greatest master. Remember, we are slaves of Christ, but also remember, we are saints in Christ. There is no other salvation. And all of our goodness and all of our righteousness is his. To him be the glory. We are justified and reconciled and right with God the Father. We are holy ones. We are separate. We are different. We are unusual. The Bible calls us from the worldly standpoint, the world's point of view, peculiar. It's okay to be a little weird, right? If you're weird for Jesus. Saints in Christ. We don't march to the, to the beat of the world's drum. And the fifth thing. There's just, on a daily basis, there's a, we have need for grace and we have need for peace. Remember to go to the source we, 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 when, when we're in those situations, we tend to reach for everything but where it's to be found. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the source. Go to the Father. Go to the Son. Run to our Savior. Remember, those, those are the sources And their supply of grace and peace for their people never run dry. Grace and peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, that you have done a tremendous work in our hearts and our lives in Christ. And then we recognize we need that daily work. We need that daily grace. We need that daily provision. 
that we not only would, would be lifted and, and be strong in the faith, but that we would also be gracious to one another, that we would be helpful to one another, a blessing to one another, encouraging to one another. Lord, we've, we've all neglected that. We've all dropped the ball on that from time to time. We're all guilty of not doing that or even acting against that. So, Lord, we, we recognize the need, the need for that daily provision to be constantly coming to the Father, constantly coming to the Savior, constantly remembering we're slaves of Christ, constantly remembering we're saints in Christ, that we might be thankful for the grace that we've been given, that we might be extending that grace to one another. God, help us to be that kind of people, that kind of witness, that kind of church family to the glory of your name. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.